0: Without a hitch, he says, and what then is our little part? <laughs> what is the conditions that we must meet that uh, that allows us to know reality? Now, you see, the tape starts with my remarks, and people don't understand what I'm referring to, so I will tell you what I'm referring to. I'm referring to what Gail just read from A Course in Miracles, in the text. And for those of you who weren't listening, it spoke of the little part that we have to do, very, very little. And in other places, in A Course in Miracles, it says that that little part is merely to not interfere. Hence, the dispensable church anthem, Row, Row, Row Your Boat gently down the stream. (laughs) And that just, that always tickles me because if you're rowing gently and you're rowing down the stream, that's really all you're doing is not interfering. There's just the illusion of doing something. You can actually pull up your oars and just glide down. But if you will row gently, if you'll just put your oars in and let the water carry them back, You see, (laughs) then that's all right. (laughs) Just don't think that you know the direction. We're going to continue our ongoing uh, talk on what is a happy person this morning. We have, uh, and you've been taking notes and memorizing the points, so I needn't tell you that we're now up to number nine. A happy person is still and this is a good place to talk about the little part that we must do if the mind is not tampered with if it is not interfered with if we don't insert questions into it raise issues before it if we don't get caught up in analyzing ourselves endlessly raking over our every fault and weakness, trying to understand how everything that we have done has come about. If we leave the mind alone, it is released and it floats gently to our Father. It unites effortlessly with God. This is really all that need to be said about a spiritual path. That when you leave yourself alone, you head home. You are already on the river. It is already flowing into the heart of God. Indeed, the only thing that we need to do is to be still. Is to do nothing in the world. To touch nothing in the world with our ego opinion. To leave all things undisturbed. To walk over all problems as if walking on water. To be that gentle. To walk on water. That gentle. That kind. That forgiving. So our purpose is not to make a difference in the world. Our purpose is not to make a difference, period. Our purpose is to be as gentle as our Father as still, as God, as quiet as reality. And these can be very fearful concepts to our ego, who knows nothing but varying forms of agitation, questions, confrontation, the endless placing of blame and shifting of blame. So, the ego is nothing more than the agitated part of our mind. It's where there is still a stir. And it's always stirring over something. And we can see this when we awake in the morning. We can see it beginning to stir instantly over something, some issue, some question, something that needs to be done, something we did yesterday. And if you wish to know in which direction you're heading, you need look at nothing more than that. Is your mind agitated? Are you stirred up? Are you caught up? Is there a question as to what to do? There is no question what to do. Just pull in your oars, lean back, (laughs) and let the gentle river take you on its way. Now, we can talk about what that is. What is it to do that? Do you see how gentle it is? And so could you condemn anyone if you were that gentle? It is not gentle to condemn someone. It is not a happy thing to drop bombs on people. All these issues are so silly. Questions of what we should or shouldn't do, isn't it enough to see that it is not a happy, gentle thing to drop bombs on people? I'm not getting into a political discussion here. This is not a political issue. It's just that we get so silly. It's not a happy thing to do to kill little children. Wipe out entire families. But likewise, it is not a happy thing to try to bring someone down, to humiliate them, to ruin their career. Likewise, it is not a happy thing to have even one small judgmental thought about your brother in Christ, about a child of God. What do you wish to make real about this child of God that stands before you? What do you wish to make real in your heart about this child of God? Do you wish to make real their imaginary identity, their little dream, their little self-image that they have such a problem with that they fret over so much? Is that where you wish them to cast their attention by you two calling attention to it? Of course not. In our heart, we do not wish that. What do you wish to make real about the people who are advocating anything, anything, anything? You know in your heart what you wish to make real. And that is their inner stillness, their gentleness, the Christ spirit, the perfection with which they were made the beauty that has never, ever been touched, not in the slightest bit, by all the silly goings on, by all the shabby doings of their little self-image. Do you wish to betray this person who stands before you and see them as they are not, and make their way harder by condemning them and calling to their ego and getting them even more stirred up and trying to get them to defend what isn't even them? Or do you wish to look in their heart and see what they are? They are in their heart as you are. What difference does it make what current mistake they are about? It makes no difference. It's enough for you to see that it is not a happy thing to criticize or attack Or to judge or to hurt. And to hurt or criticize or to judge or attack is to be stirred up. And just simply notice that. Is it ego or is it the voice of God? This is a question that comes up so often. How simple it is to answer that question. Is there a deep stillness? Do you feel still and quiet? Do you feel relaxation? Or is there a narrow vision? Is there a tension about the future? Is there an agitation? Yes, stillness is very, very important. For when you are still as God, you know God. And when you are agitated, God is just a fiction. And the agitation is what seems to be real. So how do we become still? Once again, it really doesn't matter what spiritual practice we engage in. We simply pick a spiritual practice or two or three that constitutes our effort for this day. And so, of course, it's a good thing in the morning to decide on what effort we will make this day. To be clear about that. What is our purpose? What will we do? We wish to make a little progress home. We wish to make life easier on others, at least a little bit today. We want to be a little further along by the end of the day than we were by the beginning of the day. Isn't that within our ability, our power, Of course, it is. Is there anyone here who does not see that? It is within your ability to be a little closer to home by the end of this day than you were by the beginning of it. But it is up to you. And it is possible to be a little further away from home than you were at the beginning of this day. This is up to you also. The day is never lost. It is always possible to salvage the day at any moment. No matter what direction you have been walking in, you can reverse your course. This is up to us to do this. And so never compound the mistake by listing it and regretting it and feeling discouraged by it. Simply see the mistake. See it clearly. Let it go. And now turn back home. Now walk into the arms of your father. Now bless those around you. Now love your children. Now be a good friend. Now be a good employee. A good boss. A good whatever it is that you seem to be doing this day. And indeed you will be closer to home. But we do not realize how fragile is this little journey, these steps that we take. It's quite fragile. And many of you have realized as you've walked this walk that it is far more fragile than you ever thought, that to play around with just one thought can send you back Years in your progress. That doesn't mean that it will take years to retrace your steps, but it means you are back where you were years before. And all because you simply played around with this thought. And what form the thought takes, it does not matter. It was an agitated thought. It was an unhappy thought. it was a thought that walked in the direction of the world instead of in the direction of light that walked in the direction of guilt instead of in the direction of innocence and that's all we need to know about it and so i will talk about a spiritual practice that can help that can help us with our stillness and to be still but Once again, it doesn't matter what the practice is. We simply choose a good practice. The important thing is that we see how long we have simply been saying the truth, reading about the truth, talking about to other people, and how little time we have yet spent living the truth as if we believed it. Now is the time to see that. Let me take the truth I am sure of rather than endless versions of it, more and more exciting versions of it, more and more intellectual and wise versions of it, more and more shocking and different versions of it. Let me simply take the truth that I know in my heart and live it today. Is it true or isn't it true? Is the truth true? That's the only question there is. There is no other question. Do I believe the truth? Then what will I do about it today? Will I love my brother? Will I love my sister? Will I at least try to a little bit today? Will I be a better parent? A kinder parent? Not a scared parent. Not a parent that always says yes or always says no. A good parent. A parent that doesn't teach anger as a solution. Will I make the attempt today? Will I be a good friend? In my mind, will I be a good friend? Is it enough that I'm simply act like a good friend when I'm around this person? Am I a good friend in my mind to this person? I say that all minds are connected. I say that our thoughts go out and they either help or they hurt. But what do I do about it as I'm washing the dishes or cleaning the floor or driving the car or shopping? What do I do about my mind? Is my mind blessing? Or is it joining with someone's discouragement, defeat, weakness, anger, selfishness, and confirming it? When do I wish to be in the Christ Spirit? At what point will I become a saint? We give lip service to the fact that we will all go home. That no one has been left lonely and afraid and lost. That a friend walks behind every single one, no matter how deeply they have traversed into the darkness. We say that. We say that about ourselves. We will make it. But it is up to us when we make it. And we will not make it without our mind. We place so much emphasis on our behavior and our acts and our words, but we will not make it without our mind. We are a saint in our mind. We bless with our mind. We heal with our mind. And we know stillness, the deep stillness of God with our mind. Do not be afraid to look at your mind and see what it's doing. Do not be afraid to make the attempt to still it just a little, to bring just a little peace. Do not be afraid to bring it back to peace over and over and over again. Yes, it goes off within seconds to some new form of silliness. Do not be afraid to say, come back home now. get down to what's important. So the little practice that I was going to tell you about is... Oh, I found... I, I heard a really good version of it. Um, David and I know a, a woman that has a, uh, a good old... Texas name uh I won't give you the name but it's a it's a real redneck mama name I don't know where she's from but the name comes right out of the heart of Texas (laughs) probably doesn't that's just where we grew up and so we, we know this name well and this woman has a cat and she noticed that uh how gently she talked to her cat and how she told her cat to do this and do that and not to be afraid and so forth. And it suddenly occurred to her that she could talk to herself the way she talks to her cat. Now, this wouldn't work with... As you see, the practice has to be individual. This would not work with Gail me. Our cat's name is Tuba. (laughs) And uh, so for me to uh, talk to my self, the way I talked to Tuba, I would be saying things like, get off the counter, or uh, that is not cat sand, (laughs) and this would not help, you see. (laughs) But this uh, very gentle and very pure person talks to her cat in a very gentle and pure way, but she realized that she was not doing that with herself. And so she started talking to herself the way she talks to her cat. Now, this may seem like a silly spiritual practice, but it's a very profound and deep one. And as a matter of fact, it's, it's one that has been given to us by most of the Eastern traditions, and that uh, you can pay big bucks to learn about <laughs> seminars. <laughs> <laughs> and it's simply this, that if you will watch yourself, if you will watch your little ego your little personality, the doings of your little body and of your little mind, if you'll simply watch it, you automatically assume the position of stillness. And so to simply talk to yourself, you don't have to do it out loud, you see, when you're shopping or something like that. (coughs) When you're waiting in the line to get stamps, it's not necessary to mumble and have people step back from you, you see. But silently to talk to yourself assumes a new position, isn't that clear? Because now you are you are something else talking to that which you thought a second before was all there was to you. And so you simply say to yourself, "Settle down, <laughs> uh, lap up a little milk." <laughs> Why don't you just lie down there on the rug and purr? <laughs> it's all right to talk to your uh, ego that way. If it would do that, it would be perfectly happy. So you can see how your ego is getting in trouble. You can see how your mind's getting in trouble. You can see what's happening. This thought that it's on, this, this trail of thoughts that it's going down. And so you step back from that insanity. You step back from it, and you say to your mind, This is not a happy way to think. This is not the way you even want to think. It will not make you happy to pursue this any further. Now, it does require a certain amount of detachment in order to do at least that much. And there are many people here who do not yet have even that amount of attachment. And there are times detachment. And there are times in which... All of us do not have it, possibly every single day. We are so immersed in what's going on. We've gotten so caught up in the world that it is a good thing to extricate ourselves from that. And one way of doing that is to describe your thoughts to yourself. This is a, this is a way of opening your fist, of relaxing your fingers, releasing the hold a little bit. It's a first step to simply say to yourself, to describe to yourself, what you are doing. What are you thinking about? But many people here are not even at the stage where they can do that much. The thoughts come so fast, they go by so quickly, that they don't even seem to be able to catch them except now and then. And so there's another practice that's a very, very good one, provided that you do not make this some sort of sacrifice, some sort of drudgery, provided it doesn't turn into a a uh, an assignment from a disliked teacher from a required course. If it, if it isn't that, then it can be extremely helpful. And it's something that I do. I'm doing it right now with a particular problem. And that is, I write down the thoughts that I do notice. Now, I'm doing it with a particular problem, so I'm doing it with the thoughts, any thought that I have about the particular problem. But many of you, it would be good if you simply wrote down any thought that you knew for sure you had thought. (laughs) That went by slow enough that you could actually identify it. Slowly enough. And so to carry a little pad of paper around is a wonderful spiritual practice. And just write down your thoughts. Now what will happen if you do that? Well, as we said before, you will begin to identify certain themes. You'll begin to see that your ego is not as big as you thought it was. You only have... So many idols. So we start out in the world with certain parents or guardians or watchers over. We grow up in a certain context. And during our formative years, we are taught what is truly valuable about the world. And this differs with every single person here. Each of you were taught a different lesson about what is truly valuable in the world, what is worth seeking. And so you were pushed in a direction, as I was and everyone else. And we continue to stumble in that direction until we look at it and then look in our heart and see, do I even believe this? Everyone who is still in the world still believes that something in the world has value. So in the terms of A Course in Miracles, of course you believe this because you made the world. You made the world. And so you, of course, believe that it has some goodness, that it's redeemable, that it's, it can be made to work. You made it. And so you believe it can be made to work. And you think that you know how it can be made to work. What is valuable? So we say the world is crazy. But we don't actually believe the world is crazy. We think there is some way to make it work. And once we begin to see that it's just silly, the temptation is then to go to the other extreme and to hide from it and condemn it. And to fear it. And you can see that in the case of the child that has the, the imaginary playmate, that this is not a solution either. So it seems so wonderful to have an imaginary playmate as a child, or two or three. And possibly every child has imaginary playmates. We, we Most of us forget which ones we had. But while the child has the imaginary playmate, this seems like a wonderful thing to have, And the playmate seems autonomous. It is a creation of the child. The child creates it. It seems to exist independently of the child's mind. It seems to say things that surprise the child. And the child has arguments with it, even though the child has made the imaginary playmate. Now, it is quite possible, and in fact, some children do this, to suddenly see that having an imaginary playmate is not a good thing at all. That it prevents the child from deep relationships, deep real relationships, from real communication, from real friends instead of imaginary ones. And so the temptation is then to fear the imaginary playmate, to condemn it, to renounce it, order it out of your life, hide from it, try to keep it away from you. But it's so obvious, isn't it? The effect that that has on the imaginary playmate. Does it make it less real to condemn it, criticize it, denounce it, hide from it, run from it? It makes it all the more real, doesn't it? And of course, that's the same thing that's true of our ego, and of the world. If we judge the world, if we condemn the world, if we take great pride in all the, the evil things that we can list about the world, do you see what we're doing? We're making it all the more real. Yes, the world is crazy and innocent. Completely and totally innocent. Not good. Innocent. Harmless. It never touched a single thing that was true and real. Never once. Never once. And so we neither long for the world in the way that we were taught to, nor do we turn and denounce it and condemn it. We leave it alone. We bless it. And we walk through it Like a gentle breeze. We walk over it like walking on water. And so we look at all of our friends' imaginary identities how they were taught to speak, how they were taught to dress, how they were taught to behave toward others. And does it make any difference how we practice separateness? It does not. And so we don't condemn it and we don't long for it. We look beyond it. To the mind, to the heart, to the soul. Those of you in groups like Narcotics Anonymous and Alcoholics Anonymous and all the various Anonymouses and other groups like that have probably seen the phenomenon of people taking a very good and important step, which is looking at what they are doing, how they are making themselves miserable, seeing it, cataloging it, even saying it to a friend in an atmosphere of truth, writing it out. A very, very essential step to turn and look at how we are keeping ourselves unhappy, how we're making ourselves sick, how how we make ourselves short on money, how we make ourselves short on friends, short on temper, to simply see how we do it. It's an essential step. But what is not a part of these very, very good systems and groups, but is a part of the ego and therefore can be sometimes seen within the groups, is another little turn in which the person now begins taking tremendous pride in all the bad things that they have done. (laughs) And many of you have heard this listed. You know, people now listing endlessly uh, all the horrible things and there's almost a competition about it. You see, the ego does not care how we are special. It doesn't matter to the ego. And so if you'll look very carefully at yourself, you will see, yes, there are things that the world marks as beautiful or good or great or wise that you take pride in and that you put forward But notice also that there are other specialnesses, special failings, special faults, special things that you have done in the past, special tragedies. Notice the the sense of awe and respect that the world shows people who have had great tragedy. This is neither good nor bad. That's just the insanity of the world. If it makes us special, our tendency is to hold on to it. But notice also that your mind is agitated whether you are proud of what you have done wrong or proud of what you think is specially good. Notice the tinge of fear. Notice the little gnawing of anxiety. You feel simply nervous when you are separating yourselves from other people. And so let your Stillness extend to all your faults once you have seen them. You wish to let those go happily also. You wish to have no specialness. Now the word special is used in two ways in A Course in Miracles. It speaks of how all of God's children are special, of how all Christ's brothers are special. Brother in the ungeneric sense. How they are all special. So there's no need to get confused about the word special. Special in the sense of the word uh, of the meaning of to separate, to distinguish to set ourselves apart, to contrast ourselves. Look how much time we spend contrasting ourselves in our conversation with other people, making them feel different from us. But there is indeed a specialness that shines so brightly within us that if we were ever to look directly at it, we would no longer want anything in this world, not its tragedies or its triumphs. We would simply want to take everybody's hand that we could and bring them home. And then we would come back for more and for more and for more. And so, as we assume this position of stillness, and we look at how we make ourselves unhappy, we watch our thoughts. Perhaps we say them to ourselves, describe them to ourselves as we're doing them. Perhaps we write them down, or talk to ourselves like a kitty cat, or a dog, or whatever. You dirty dog. (laughs) As we do this, we begin to see that our ego is not as big as we thought it was. Before, the the darkness seemed infinite. It seemed, if we made the slightest slip, we would fall back into the darkness of our soul and be swallowed up forevermore. And if you will simply turn and look at how you make mistakes and what mistakes you make, you will see that there are a limited number of them. Do not underestimate your sense of hopelessness. We really do. People make very, very slow progress because they have a, such, such a sense of, well, I'm never going to learn this. It's never going to work. There's something basically faulty about me. In the big GM of the sky or something, they left out a part. And we, really, we really believe this. On God's assembly line, someone took a coffee break at the wrong time. (laughs) Or since this is a Seventh-day Adventist church, a tea break at the wrong time. We really do believe this. Don't underestimate your, your belief that you cannot do this, that you are hopeless. You, everybody else can do it. And you, of course, tell glowing stories about how you're doing it, but you do not believe it. As a matter of fact, the stories only add to your hopelessness because you know they aren't entirely true. So don't underestimate your sense of hopelessness. Look at it. See what it is based on. How do you think? How do you get up in the morning? What do you do with your mind when you're in this particular situation at the office that always makes you so unhappy? Go into the restroom, close your eyes, and see what you just did with your mind. Don't tell yourself, don't analyze it. That's another block, that's another idol that we can get caught up in. But as you do this, you'll begin to see there's only a limited number. And these could be blocks, stumbling blocks. I love that term. That was what I was taught in my boyhood religion. You can make stumbling blocks into stepping stones. (laughs) I learned to say that at a very young age. I thought it was quite profound. (laughs) Um, I didn't have any idea what it meant. I still don't know what a stumbling block is. (laughs) Does anybody know? (laughs) i got an idea of it, but I bet it came from something. You'll see there's just a limited number. You'll begin to identify them and watch out for this one because this can send you on a very, very long delay, you will see that there is a major one. There is a kingpin, an idol of idols. Now, why did I say be careful? Because many of you are going to start analyzing yourself and trying to figure out what your major block is. And you can spend years doing that and you will make no progress whatsoever. But if you will look, over and over and over, how you get yourself in trouble, you'll begin to see that you have certain idols, that you have a king of idols, a queen of idols. We're not going to be so chauvinistic about this. (laughs) And you'll see that the things to work on are just a few. I will list a few of them. But these must be seen There are hundreds of them. As a matter of fact, it differs with each person because the environment from which we came was different. The things that we were taught would work in the world was different for each of us, and we still believe it. We think we've renounced the past, but we're still playing it out. So what are some of these things? What are the major stumbling blocks that keep people from going home? They get so far, and then it turns them back into the world. And people, this has been happening for thousands of years. Almost get there and something turns you back. Almost make it and something turns you back. Almost form the holy relationship with this child of God and walk away from it. Almost come to know your father and turn back to the world. This has happened thousands and thousands and thousands of times in your life. What will prevent it from happening this time? Only one thing, for you to turn and look at how you do it. How do you do it? What is the stumbling block? Don't analyze it. Don't figure it out. For heaven's sakes, don't go tell other people what it is and discuss it. Just look, it will reveal itself little bit by little bit. You will not come to know it in one meditation. Just gently excavate it. What is it that you do? Why is it that you get so close to God and then it's as if a truck ran over you and you're back in the world? There is no mystery to it. So what are some of these things? Anger is certainly one of them. Why is anger an idol for people? And why is it so difficult to let go of anger? Because within the world, anger is the greatest power. If you wish to control other people, if you want to be the one that everyone circles around, then be angry. But since the world is a very silly place, it is not true power. It is power only within the world. And so to give up your anger is to give up your power in the world. But do you truly wish the power to make other people feel guilty, to badger other people into your position, to make people cry? to make me people feel scared? Do you really wish your child to be afraid of you? Your spouse to be afraid of you? Do you really wish to get the clerk fired? Do you really wish to get the clerk fired? Do you really wish to teach your child that anger is the thing they should use to get results? Of course you don't. But you must let anger go completely. Many people here have let anger go 99%, but they have not let the last percent go. Let it go. Let it go happily. You do not wish anger. You do not wish attack and judgment and condemnation. You do not wish the effect that it has. And it has a far greater effect than you realize. Minds truly are joined, even though we say it. (laughs) And you cannot be angry without hurting every single person on the face of this earth. And I realize that no one believes that, but it's a fact. And you will begin to see it more and more. You wish everything that you do to contribute to the peace of the world to the awakening of your brother and your sister. Indeed, you do. Look in your heart and you will see that. Does this contribute to the peace of the world? Does this contribute to the happiness of my brother and sister? Is this bringing the children of God home or is it hurting them? You can't really hurt them, but within the world, you can appear to hurt them. And the world is nothing but appearances. Withdrawal is another one, a major block. Withdrawing into the world, sinking back into the world. So we think that the world has certain pleasures. Chocolates and TV and sexual fantasies and foot warmers and little books and On and on and on and on. Nothing wrong with any of those things. Except possibly chocolates. (laughs) And so we withdraw. We get almost to God. We get scared and we sink back into the world. Perhaps this is your major block. Withdrawing a turning away. Promiscuity. Let's just look at that for a second. Do you see how unhappy disloyalty makes people? Can you look around, not at your own life, but other people's lives, and see how unhappy a thing this is? How many children have been hurt by this? How many relationships that were good and sound and were on their way or broken up By this. And has it ever made anyone happy? It is completely innocent. There is no condemnation for this, but it is an idol. It is especially an idol for the male ego, but it is for others too. It's not a happy thing to always be looking over one person's shoulder. To see if there's someone better. Have you felt that yourself? Has someone looked over your shoulder? Then why would you wish to do that? You do not wish to do that. Look and see this has never made you happy. Fear. Fear is an idol. For many of you, fear is your major Stumbling block. Your principal idol. The world is a dangerous place and you can tell everybody how to avoid the dangers. You can list them. You know the dangers. You read the articles to keep up on the ever-changing dangers of the world because every day there are new dangers being unearthed. (laughs) Sent out over the TV and in the magazines. I was trying to think of what something I heard. I can't remember. But there's always something, isn't there? A latest one. A latest 10 or 20 or 30 and so forth. And so avoiding everything, fearing everything, thinking the worst will happen. Yes, the world is a dangerous place. But to center our attention on the danger does not allow us to bring comfort to other people and walk home to our Father, which is nothing but pure peace. An endless welcome a joy that we cannot even begin to feel the slightest hint of yet. Fear does not allow us to do that. It is not a good thing. That doesn't mean we don't take the steps that would eliminate our particular fears, because we do. And so people think that being controlled by their anxieties means that somehow they shouldn't take out insurance or they shouldn't They shouldn't decide how their body will be disposed of. Or they shouldn't make out their will. Or they shouldn't uh, enter a keyhole. Or the thousands of other silly things that people think. The ego thinks that if we have the appearance of fearlessness, we've accomplished something. And so we don't lock our door and we don't put our seatbelts on which is all perfectly innocent, and each person must decide for themselves as to whether or not they will take one particular precaution or not. But the only judge as to whether or not it is good or bad is what effect has it had on your mind? Did it truly lessen your fear to not lock your door? If it did, then it was indeed a good thing. But if it made you feel more anxious, and if there was a little gnawing thought, what have you accomplished by appearing? more fearless. So indeed, we must take the steps that eliminate the fear for us because we wish our mind to be free of fear. And then, of course, there's the traditional things of healthy, wealthy, and wise. Each one a major block. Some friends of ours, uh, the man who works at a company here, in a very large company here in uh, Albuquerque, was offered a fabulous promotion, a gigantic promotion. It was just awesome how much bigger it was than what he had, the, 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 the increase in pay. He would he'd also have people under him. Oh, how the ego longs for this. He would have 10 people under him. Authority and respect, which is what you get if you have people under you. (laughs) You'd have people under him and he'd get a great big boost in pay. Perks, man, would he have perks. A better car, a better ashtray, (coughs) a larger office a secretary devoted to only three people instead of 20, and on and on and on. There was only one thing he had to do. He had to move from Santa Fe to Albuquerque. And he thought about that for several seconds. (laughs) And he said, no, thank you. And everybody was absolutely dumbfounded that he would pass this up. Not that there's anything wrong with Albuquerque. It's just that for his family, he decided it would be better for him to bring up his family where he was and not to move to Albuquerque. People in Albuquerque might think the same thing about Santa Fe. That doesn't matter. What matters is he simply didn't have this particular idol. But can you see how many people, given the opportunity to make money, would do anything? But it's not your idol but there is something that you are willing to do anything for in this world and you must see it there is something that you will choose against god in a hundred ways and it's what you are doing every day what is it that's so important is it fear is it wisdom is it powers they have all these powers Let's just look at powers for a minute. Maybe we'll end on this. Now, I want you to think of someone, anyone, and let's say suddenly they always knew who was calling. And they picked up the phone and they said, Hello, Jane. And let's pretend your name is Jane. I know this is the most difficult part for many of you, but still, let's do that. Now, So this person, every time they pick up the phone, they always know who it is. Let me ask yourself, are you going to call this person more or less? (laughs) Does this power do anything for you, and does the exercising of it do anything for you? Now, let's take another friend. This friend suddenly develops the ability to read auras. Everybody will eventually be able to read auras. We're just simply talking about this as an idol, Suddenly, you know someone can read your aura. And they do every time you're around them. They will tell you exactly what color it is, how far out from your body, and so forth. Are you going to wish to be around this person more or less? Precognition. Let's say you suddenly develop precognition. Are your friends going to give you a surprise party? (laughs) Now, people, there are endless abilities in the world. Yes, we have made ourselves very small and very weak, and we've lim and we even in this world we have thousands and thousands of abilities that we deny ourselves. But to seek these things and to pull them out on all occasions, this does not make us sense our oneness and our deepness. The deep bond we have between each other. So perhaps that is your idol, your number one idol. Or maybe it's super health, or maybe it's a pollyannish view of the world everything's going to turn out all right i'm looked after no one else is but i'm looked after it's all going to turn out all right it doesn't matter if it's that sort of denial or it's fear or it's being in the limelight or it's being wise or it's being angry or it's withdrawing, or it's a thousand other things. There simply comes a time in which you choose something besides your father. You choose something beside peace, beside love, beside kindness, beside tenderness. And that's what's keeping you from going home. It's that simple. If you choose your father, if you choose peace... And gentleness you go home if you choose anything beside peace and gentleness you choose to walk away from your father you have made something in the world more important than your father and you have made something in the world more important than the awakening of your brother and your sister you have decided to once again be a part of the problem and we decide this a hundred times a day What do we do? We simply see our mistake and we begin again.